0: I'm sitting with Jordan Arsenault, who is the coordinator of MediaQueer.ca which um, does many different events and projects, not only in Montreal but across Canada. Um, the card I have in front of me, which Jordan has just passed to me, says um, MediaQueer.ca, a free online catalogue of LGBTQ Canadian and Quebecois film and video artists and their work, works. So, um, thanks for speaking with us today.
1: Thank you for City Radio. (laughs) Thank you, Stefan. So, Uh, what is Media Queer? Media Queer is the online name of a project uh, based at Concordia University and the University of Montreal Mm -hmm. uh, that is the Queer Media Database Canada Quebec. And our goal, since uh, being founded in 2011, wow, okay, uh, and I've only been working on it since 2013. Well, that's is, some time. It's been it's been a good uh, few years, yeah. and uh, our goal is to keep in both the public attention, researchers' attention, and in the queer imagination. To keep alive uh, moving image works from the 20th century made by Canadians and Quebecois artists and Anishinaabe artists, and make sure that we have um, that we don't lose our moving image history in mm. the um, digital uh, obsession with uh, mm. streaming uh, makes something exist, and if it's not streamable, it doesn't exist. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, not to frame the project's mm-hmm. goal negatively, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um, one of the one of the tendencies that we've noticed is that since a lot of this work is a lot of this work is short, a lot of this work was non-commercial. Mm-hmm. Once it would do the round of a festival, and people pour their heart and soul into yeah. these short films, um, unless it had become famous it will do the festival round, and then it will sit in someone's drawer, as the case was with many artists oh, from wow. the 90s, or it will simply go to the archive of the producer or distributor like the NFB or um, one of numerous independent distributors in oh, Canada. And so the goal is to restore to public researcher, artist, and, um, and community attention wow. the works that might not have uh, that might not have made it into the canon, wow. that might not be as famous comparatively uh-huh. to uh, the works that were purchased by libraries and okay. made it to TV sure. um, or made it to the holy grail of European and American theatrical release um, You know, like Xavier Delan's work for example and so we're looking at a lot of work we're talking about something like 3,000 mm-hmm. works Our site only contains about 1,300 of those, and it's in a constant state of update. But we're looking at everything from student work, indie work, Super 8, um, web TV series, television shows made by queer people with or without queer content, um, pre-1969 work that wasn't called queer at the time, but that we've decided to um decided merits being included in this and as an example of the work that mm-hmm. the the interesting work that comes out of this um we just finished doing a tour of Sageps where um, where wow. not a lot of uh in fact no students um I certainly didn't at age 17, I'm not from here, but at age 17 or 18, knew nothing about the sex garage um, protests that resulted from the 1990 police raid here in Montreal, and knew even less that there was a lesbian-made documentary about this um, period, about this incident, and about the direct action that followed up from it with... Mm up-close footage from organizing meetings and up-close footage from what would then become the first Pride March Mm. and uh, this is the key program in uh, the film is called We're Here, We're Queer, We're Fabulous by Maureen Bradley and Danielle Como and we have shown this work several times Mm. um, in Montreal for in 2015 for specifically uh, a program of films where we looked at images and treatment of police in queer film, mm-hmm. looking at how queer people uh, either mock or simply account, f- recount the impact of the police on the lives of queer people over the ages, over the decades, mm-hmm. um, or how that is fictionalized, but the the wonderful thing about this documentary is mm-hmm. that it's a whole 29 minutes, wow. and that they get uh, you get everything in this documentary. And So we curated around. We're here. We're queer. We're fabulous. A, a cross section of work that we're showing to stage ups. We're going to Champlain um, College in April. We've been to mm-hmm. Vanier, Doth, and John Abbott, and to to screen. Um, This story which is particularly a story of how Mm -hmm. the police and police brutality had been opposed in an organized and public way okay even though we saw that not and even though not everyone won you know and that was one of the great things about this documentary is the epilogue tells you that um, as much as there was street activism in 1990 that continued for one or two years by the time they went to trial there wasn't the same kind of ferment they didn't have the same kind of support and a lot of the people who had been arrested that night at sex garage did get fined and did have to pay those fines and so it is a it is an inspiring story that you don't See told anywhere else, but in this video um which uh, which wasn't screened in our mind wasn't screened adequately enough um around the twenty fifth anniversary of um the sex garage um protests in t- in twenty fifteen and so we're just going to continue showing it that I take as a as like a yeah, sure as a cipher as a capsule mm-hmm. of it really for me exemplifies what the work is about yeah. because We won't always have um, a hallmark documentary to show you like the NFB's Forbidden Love. Uh Um, We really are trying to find work that we feel has fallen out of um, public, scholarly, and community attention. Yeah, Yeah. uh,
0: so, um, of course, we're with Jordan Arsenault from mediaqueer.ca. It really made me... um, reflect a bit about the the concept or the idea of the multiplicity of voices um, just just in terms of how collective identities are evolving and emerging um, expressed through the arts um, and and yeah as you were saying like there isn't always this sort of piece of artistic representation that is sort of stamped by mainstream institutions and and this becomes sort of the officialized narrative sometimes that's done 30 or 40 years after the fact Mm. Um, but um could could we talk a little bit about the importance of sort of efforts to archive and show the sort of uh I mean, you talked about the raids on on Sex Garage, but also just more generally in terms of Quebec and Canada, the multiplicity of voices and artistic expression within queer communities over many generations that sort of did all that work to establish also uh, identity frameworks
1: and, and artistic expression today. Sure, yeah, that's I think that that's a big question. I like big questions, and I like the I like the granular questions that come out of this work. I think that maybe my answer to that will come um, in the form of uh, talking about two particular documentaries from the AIDS crisis that I felt um were part of the revisitation okay. the importance of this revisitation and of this um this attention that um how to put it mm-hmm. i think if you Tahani Rashed was an egyptian canadian quebecois documentary filmmaker who in 1993 our very own website will correct me if I'm wrong. If you go to mediaqueer.ca, uh, 1993 NFB documentary feature about the work of Réjean Thomas at the time, who was an activist doctor. This is, you know, years and years and years before he became, you know, a um, uh, the the you know the pillar of uh, of research and of of research money. Um, that he's become now at Clinique L'Actuel. This is when they were in the streets with Act Up Montreal when they were fighting for medication. They were fighting for early releases of medications, And so Tani Rashad, um, who went on to make a few other films, but then we believe seems to have retired and perhaps gone back to Egypt, but we don't have a perfect artist biography on her uh, is an interesting example of a uh, woman of color perhaps queer probably not you know according to the bio that we have this is only 25 years ago and yet once you stop making films, if no one has written about your film and if no one has tracked you down to find out more about it, then all we have to go by are articles that were written about her when it came out. But then there she was making a film that was not necessarily about her experience, but which Mm. was commissioned Mm. from the NFB to tell a radical story of a small number of people Mm -hmm. trying to change simultaneously change public opinion, mm. um, pharmaceutical, bureaucratic decisions, governmental opinion and decisions around prevention mm. and the release and approval on coverage of medications. Mm. And this is told in... A TV, a, a very TV-ready dramatic uh, feature-length documentary with tons of footage from street protests. Mm. That is really, um, really a, a a perfect example of the kind of film that will only be revisited if it can be googled now. If people sure. want, because people are are. People are clearly fascinated by this period. We've seen that with 120 Batements par Minute, the latest um, film to to come out of France about the period. We've seen that with um, numerous uh, retellings of AIDS crisis narratives from The Normal Heart to Dallas Buyers Club. But this documentary is a cipher for me in that it's a, it's such an interesting example of how Presumably, Tahani Rashad, with her documentary knowledge and her connections, could have made a film about anything, and yet she made it about the AIDS crisis and and how it was affecting Montreal. Similarly, Nick Sheehan, in 1986, made the earliest, the second earliest, documentary about AIDS called No Sad Songs, which we recently showed on. December first and is about um, the impact of the um, of the crisis on a small circle of friends that would then become the AIDS committee of toronto okay. and uh, next to a film by Stuart Marshall that was made for, for british TV um, it is the you know it 's the second oldest work of moving image material about yeah. AIDS. Um, feature length you know, in the world. And so this uh, we showed on World AIDS Day as an example of um, these periods where Tanya Rashad was working for the NFB, so that's a bit different. But Nick Sheehan made this film with no money oh. from only the impetus that it, that moment had to be recorded yeah. or else both the community oh. and the public would have lost something. And so when now we are living in an era of this panopticon-like taking for granted, of everything being recorded, re-recorded, snapchatted, and, and perhaps kept or deleted, returning to this period where documentary making had to be so deliberate and was made with the knowledge that unless it was recorded by the people who are being affected by those issues, it would either be incorrectly represented or not at all. And so for Mm. documentary is a huge part of this project because the immediacy of documentary is part of why it too doesn't get seen again Mm -hmm. 10 years after. Uh, you know, a documentary comes out with its relevance. Maybe not a lot of people will rent it or show it to students, mm-hmm. but we want to restore these works to that attention. So, wow. I'm another example, an upcoming project with um, Alison Duke, who similarly she um, was uh, famous for a work called Raisin Cane about. Um, about a shooting in Toronto and uh, that um, she then went on to make two films about HIV justice, one called Consent and the other called HIV Positive Women Exposing Injustice. And she's another example of a filmmaker who has chosen to make documentaries very much uh, connected to her life but not about her. Hmm. And so I think that this is a quality that all documentarians have most documentarians aren't making self-portraits you know this Mm. is a the documentary self-portrait is really its own genre but I think that there is um you know you look at an out queer documentary maker like Liz Miller here in Montreal Mm. who did make queer work and made queer work about refugees and she made work about queer people and now she's making Shoreline a huge documentary project about the disappearance of um waterfront and how it's affecting people's environments and food security. And so you one through line that I will eventually explore and perhaps articulate better is the commitment that a lot of queer people have to making work that isn't necessarily about their own life and death dis, uh, issues, but rather about the life and death issues that they witness in others. Mm. That's just documentary. So if you look at you know, if you look at all of the other forms that are out there, there's also a lot of experimental shorts and if anyone's ever been taken to an experimental short film screening, I know a lot of free city radio listeners will have been brought to an experimental short film screening. The this is this is really a pillar of queer creation because they're cheap, they're subjective. They don't have to be anything other than what they are. And they're part of a sure. tradition that goes back to Jean Cocteau and Kenneth Anger and these, um, you know, these crucial um, means of expression because they could be easily copied, easily shared. They can be fit into other screenings and shown, and they are cheap to produce. And so you have some of the the great... Um, the great makers of short video work, uh, just in in an upcoming screening that will be at the Bangalore Queer Film Festival, being brought there by uh, the founder of the project, Thomas Waugh, will have Mira Sule-Ross, who was a famous uh, trans sex worker activist based in Montreal. We have a short coming out about her work, um, and she did a tremendous... Um, tremendous number of videos about being a trans sex worker in the 90s and then came out with her magnum opus which is yapping out loud which is a 75 minute performance extravaganza about all of the uh, abolitionist feminists and the clients that she meets and the aid workers that she meets and social workers and and uh, it's about a trans woman sex worker's life Dealing with both progressives and people who think they're progressive and John's, and wow. uh, we're showing that with clips from the uh, Toronto and Vancouver actually canonical art makers and so here is where the intersection kind of dovetails is that some of some queer Canadian filmmakers actually have entered the International artistic canon mm-hmm. and there you have your You're Colin Campbell, who did a work called I'm a Voyeur. He did this very subjective work where he gets in drag and he kind of talks uh, slowly and campily about his alter egos. My boss would would excoriate me for not um, adequately summarizing Colin Campbell's work. And then you have these real mavericks like uh, Paul Wong, who... Um, with um, his collaborator, in 1970, in the in the 1970s, did a performance art piece called "60 Unit Bruise," where they injected one another with their own blood, pre-AIDS, and and did a video based on the the impact that that has on their skin, yeah. and so um, Paul Wong, you have John Grayson, Richard Fung, Marussia Bossiorkov, Diana Bowen, these names that are, you know, major in the art world, but aren't necessarily still viewed within communities. So this is reminds you of this quote about. Um, forget who said that you should be aware of queer people because they can, um, like artists, they can operate in numerous social echelons. It was a campy and sarcastic quote, but about how there are a lot of queer people in the art world, um, but there aren't a lot of these works being shown to communities anymore because a lot of the makers of those works um, you know, put their work into the world of the white cube and then they become only borrowed there and legible there. Richard Fung is an excellent example of someone who didn't do that, who went back recently and we showed his film Reorientations last year, where he uh, went back and revisited seven of the 14 subjects of his breakout 1985 documentary Orient, um, orientations lesbian and gay asians and he followed them for a year to see where are they now another great example of someone who didn't go art world is marusia bursyukov who with ckut's help and tamara filievich's uh, moderation we showed lgbt rights in the war in ukraine and marusia's documentary feature this is gay propaganda Last year, close to the anniversary of the Russian invasion of Donetsk, and so myriad of readings of these films are possible. Mm -hmm. And one of the um, one of the real uh, commitments that we have is in showing surveys of films, and so Mm -hmm. we have um, this Two Spirit screening coming up on. February twenty sixth, which will show work from nineteen ninety four to nineteen sorry, from nineteen ninety-four to twenty seventeen. Um Beric Many Wounds is a Concordia student filmmaker who's going to be and and sorry, respected filmmaker who also happens to be a Concordia student, I should say. Nice. And he's going to be premiering doing the Montreal premiere of a new work called Wake Up, Tanezid. And that is going to be along with Kent Monkman's Future Nation uh, hilarious B-movie style um, apocalyptic fiction film and and, and some earlier uh, work as well as some brand new work from the Prairies, uh, Buffalo Girl, which I was just emailing about when you came in. And then by Adrian Stimson, a video and performance artist who was just here for Viva, doing a hilarious GIF-based work where he had 150 of his friends and colleagues make their best orgasm face in a send-up of Canada 150 and Francois Truffaut called 150 Blows. and So that, um, Adrian Stimson's Buffalo Boy will also be part of the February 26th program, which is going to be in VA 114 at 6pm and it's free. Well, info will be at Mediaqueer.ca.
0: Um, there's so much info and references, and what you said. Wow. Um, I guess um, would encourage people, of course, to check out this event and the the project in general. Um, one 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 thing I I I thought to ask you about, maybe to to end this particular conversation, is um, like just just looking at this idea of like. The immensity of mm. of of the canon of of queer work and also the non canon you use this word and so I'm sort of yeah. um I heard it and um, um i i'm just i'm I'm so um I'm sort of revolving around this this concept of how history is represented, mm-hmm. you know, and, and 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 sort of how moments. I mean, you, you mentioned Sex Garage, the AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. and Act Up, mm-hmm. and how these moments are sort of capitalized on, especially by the mainstream art world or by politicians. Mm-hmm. And there's always like this. Um, I don't know how it's how to put it, but it's it's almost as if like the vitality and the 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 struggle of that moment and 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 how hard it has been for people to survive those moments just mm-hmm. on a very basic day-to- day level mm-hmm. is sort of romanticized in a way that it removes the the reality from it. Um, um, so I'm just wondering if you could talk about about that a bit. Um, in, in terms of like that that the, the importance of like an archive like this showing the true, um immensity of emotions and 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 intensity that those struggles actually were about, as opposed to sort of cookie cutter renditions of of history or logos
1: on social media it's a big question it's again. a great no it's a big it's yeah. a nice big nice big juicy question and I think that there are a few works that I think the answer to that question could lie in a few works that um that are are neither successful documentaries um nor frequently screened experimental films um but works that lie somewhere in between. Okay. Um the late Francois Belanger made a film in 1984 called Passive Flora that we showed as part of our history of representations of the police <laughs> screening in queer work yeah, you're mentioning and that. passiflora is this totally uncanny and strange nfb documentary they obviously never worked with him again after this where he wanted to film the background the street protests and uh, and also do a drama dram a series of dramatized scenes about um, a couple needing to get an abortion in the summer that Montreal hosted both John Paul the Pope, John Paul the Second, and Michael Jackson. And so, in this documentary, you have these these haunting poetic moments of the unfinished Stade Olympique as. Organizers prepare to host either Michael Jackson or Pope John Paul II, and in any given moment in the film, the you as a viewer, you're not actually sure which of the two preparatory uh, setups is happening, unless they specifically mention you can't film Michael Jackson right now or His Holiness has to do a speech, and they he also filmed, pro- there were anti-Catholic protests and there was one particular protest where there was an anti-Catholic protest with a boy a black boy in Point St. Charles dre- uh, dressed as Michael Jackson attending an anti-Catholic protest you can't get a, you can't represent uh, the queer imagination any better in my mind than in these sprawling, if you will Documentaire rate so passive Flora was forgotten for many years because it very uh, much fails as a didactic documentary, wanting to show you know specifically he wanted to show anti Catholic activism, which was rare and which was heavily policed and um, and heavily unpopular. In 1984 you know with the abortion debate raging in North America at the time we look at that moment and you know what filmmaker wouldn't want to show that moment but it took a queer filmmaker to decide not to tell a perfect linear story about the mashup of these two most famous characters with the constant background of this almost castrated uh, <laughs> Stad Olympique. I mean, uh, you have that documentary, and then um, I would say uh, Murusia Busiorkov's body's in trouble. Which is one that I think I mentioned to you, a short, a a ten or so, ten or fifteen minutes short, about uh, the lesbian bar scene on the backdrop of the AIDS crisis and the so-called Oka crisis, and so this is uh, another wonderful window into the period of of queer life where your nightlife your dating life your activism your school life all melded together because there was always somewhere to go that that you felt needed your presence and your uh voice to be added to these stories and so i think that um because of this um because of the importance of Maurizio's work, particularly, uh, we were, we want to do a screening in Ottawa called, uh, basically, of just documentaries by women from 1990 that will look at mm-hmm. We're Here, We're Queer, We're Fabulous, mm-hmm. Bodies in Trouble, and the first Canadian black-made film about HIV called Another Love Story, which is a 29-minute, uh, made-for-cable short about HIV. In the black community and how women were responding to it, and um, as well a short work by Michelle Mohabir, a now York-based filmmaker, um, about two uh, women of color discussing how they are uh, how they manage to be both um, in a community and um, aware of how they're seen outside of a community. Mm. So this double awareness that queer people always have of how are you seen within your queer community, how are you seen by the straight Mm. world, Mm. um, is kind of heightened for um, queer women of color and that they are always hyper aware, or so is described in Michelle Mohabir's short. She describes the hyper awareness of being seen from within and from without. And so these are that would be my answer to what is the queer Canadian if you even want to go Canadian with me but it's Canadian it's Quebecois it's indigenous it is all of the works that you could say art historically have been made on what we ascribe as Canada now it's uh it's a Someday perhaps it won't make as much sense to limit ourselves to, you know, territory that we know has been defined by colonial violence, sure. but there is something uh, in the maverick heritage of Canadian, uh, Canadian art making. Some say it's because of the way that we fund culture, some say it's because we always already give up on commercial success. So few, so few filmmakers, queer filmmakers, set out to, you know, I'm going to make a, I'm gonna get a TV series on Amazon Prime or like I'm gonna get a TV series on Hulu. You know, not a lot of the filmmakers that we're looking sure. at set out for that. But then you have filmmakers who start really rad, like Jeremy Podeswa, um, who made a beautiful, beautiful short film, I think called Touch Me. And it is, uh, you know, that's he could have stayed in the experimental mode, and now he's directing episodes of Game of Thrones, and so mm. <laughs> you have you have a lot of different directions that people can go in, yeah. and without wanting to make really overly simplistic conclusions about what makes a Canadian queer, um, Quebecois queer. <laughs> indigenous, quote, Canadian um, video artist different from elsewhere besides the fact that it's just from here I think that I'm focusing instead on the diversity of those voices for its own sake, as in something that's interesting in and of itself Mm -hmm. more so than trying to Make sprawling statements about the entire corpus, mm-hmm. and so, if you come on, uh, you know, on February twenty sixth, dear listeners, you'll be able to see, um, just how varied these works are. You'll, you'll be able to see how, in that particular screening case, how Indigenous Two Spirit, um, video makers are using the moving image, to express their truth. I think that um, the the challenge, if I were to answer to the challenge of the project, it is between um, knowing that there are great, 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 great films made by uh, people who happen to be cisgendered white gay men, like Il était une fois dans l'Est by André Brassard that we're going to be showing in New York in April. and. Uh, I want to be able to show those and everything else, and so I want to make sure that as the project goes forward, um, I'm not, and maybe I don't want to even say this on the radio, but I'm I'm not invested in, in, stifling those works from being shown. I think that we need to get on more screens with more of, the entire corpus, and so being wary at the same time that for, you know, a long time, um, you know, if this corpus is left unexplored and undocumented and uncatalogued, um, (laughs) cis white gay men like me will be the ones choosing to show cis white gay male made feature films. And that will be how this canon gets represented and so i think maybe as a more radiophonic wave explaining it i feel a particular commitment to make sure that although there are some great films made by people who share my identity intersection i want to make sure that those aren't the only ones being seen and bought and shared and and rented especially now especially now yeah. case in point um Arnakuk Arnoc Barrell's uh fiction short film Aviliac which is set in the 1950s about um, a lesbian love story um is going to be shown on February 26th and uh you know there's a great count, like there's a great example from the opposite direction of this now famous documentarian who before Angry Nook decided to make a queer film and how she did that responsibly, and how she did that so so beautifully and effectively, and so I um I would be really excited to see um, how people experience that work, who might have seen Angry Nook or who might look at that short, and then deliberately go out and rent Angry Nook or try and bring Angry Nook to their to their communities, to their school. We've bought it at Concordia, for example. And so, um, come on out, February 26th, to Winter Pride. The screening is entitled Kinship and Closeness and is curated by Adrienne Huard, a MOA curator who happens to be a student here at Concordia, and um, the screening is free. Monday, February 26th at 6 p.m. in VA 114 on Crescent and René levesque
0: Jordan Arsenault, merci, thank you.